from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents interviews of ordinary people who choose the Baha'i faith as a way of life. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Richard Hoff. Richard had a tragic upbringing, which he describes. At 18, he moved to his uncle's farm and found out he was a great salesman. It was when he was a salesman that he ran into the Baha'i faith. I started the interview by asking Richard where he grew up and what was it like growing up there. I grew up in South Dakota, Mm -hmm. and there's only a half million people in the whole state. They have no minorities except the Native Americans. South Dakota was very conservative. I didn't hear the faith until I was 30 years old. The moment I heard of it, I was considering becoming a uh, Methodist minister, liberal Methodist minister. Now, did you have those leanings when you were growing up as a kid? Yeah. Did you have a very strong religious upbringing in your family? My father was a drunk, and my mother was in church eight days a week, and she belonged to a conservative church that only felt that they were going to heaven, and I became a very twisted, paranoid young man. From the first 20 years of my life, but I decided I wanted to know about religion, so I really got involved in a very heavy way in high school. Mm -hmm. So how did this twisted paranoia manifest itself? When I was in the fifth grade, I beat my head on the floor. They said I could have gained a permanent mental instability. Then I would challenge everything, horrible temper, and had to have mental treatment when I was 17 years old, going to psychiatrist. I went on the farm at 18 years old, sold half the year and farmed half the year, and it turned out that that I was an unbelievable salesman even at 18 years old. What was it, your environment that caused you to be so socially disturbed? Oh, yeah. That father and mother relationship was one just religion all the time, and she was the only right one, and my father drunk and ran a beer parlor, and so uh, I grew up in a very twisted way. And I think the most amazing thing that I've ever experienced is myself, being stable and being such an excited person about the faith. Mm -hmm. So you said it was at 18 when you were doing what that sort of turned things around for you? Both my father and mother died by 18 years of age, Mm -hmm. and uh, I went on the farm with an uncle. He really gave a stability to my life, and I also started getting psychiatric treatment for 10 years. Then when I found the faith, I was one of the finest salesmen in America. Living on the farm with your uncle then was a very stabilizing influence for you, and it sounds like you had somewhat of a miraculous turnaround. I really did. I really did. When the faith came along, it just changed my whole life because I challenged and went to the Catholic Church, and then I went to the different denominations in the Protestant Church, and then I decided at 30 I'd probably become a minister, And I never got involved in it because the faith was introduced to me before 
I actually made a direct step into becoming involved in the ministry of the Methodist Church. Well, what was your attitude toward religion before you got to your uncle's farm? I was deeply involved in it all during high school, president of our youth fellowship in uh, Presbyterian Church, and just challenging everything. You know, I wouldn't believe anything just blindly. Sounds like you're following your mother's track rather than so much your father's track. I rebelled against both because my mother... She was the only right one, and everybody else was wrong, and my mm-hmm. father, many times a year, he was just stone drunk, and mm-hmm. so I just rebelled against both of them mm-hmm. and started looking for the truth for myself. So she didn't really, like, turn you off from religion then, it's just that you just questioned the beliefs. Oh, very strongly. Yeah. So what kind of questions would you ask when you were in high school? I was a very strong Democrat, and I believed in the United Nations. Mm-hmm. I was socially minded, socially active, and so I saw a combination of the uh, social action part of organizing my world through the United Nations. Mm -hmm. And this was contrary to the teachings of the church that you were attending? No, very supported by the church I was attending. What were you questioning that was being taught? They would tell me I should believe a certain way, and anything they told me, I'd take the opposite side of the fence and get in a dogfight with them just for the sake of disagreeing with them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just wouldn't accept authority, period. Yeah. It's interesting that you didn't get turned off to religion at all due to your reaction to your mom. Oh, yeah. Mahalalah, <laughs> I think. Uh, I'm 77 years old now. Yeah. Even before you ran into the faith, you sound like you were still interested in religion. Even I would have thought you would have been turned off to religion just in reaction to your mother. Before yeah. you even ran into the Baha'i faith. Sure could have been that way, but it, but it wasn't. After you arrived at your uncle's farm, you started studying religion pretty heavily then. I continued to be involved in it as I was all during my high school period. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell me the circumstances that had you run into the Baha'i faith? I was not married. Mm-hmm. Were you still on the farm? No. Okay. I what, just left the farm. And what were you doing? I was... Selling. What were you selling? Salesman. Okay. Farm equipment? No. I was selling uh, property casualty and life insurance. Okay. Very tough field. Why is that? It's a tough field because insurance, when you're 18 years old, most of them are, are 10, 20, 30 years older than you are. So for me to go into that field and really excel, the first six months I was in it was just amazing to everybody. So you were selling insurance as soon as you got to your uncle's farm? Yes. So you've been yeah. selling insurance for about 10 years? After selling insurance for a number of years, I've been on the farm for 10 years, and so I would sell uh, six months, and then I'd farm six months. Oh, I see. Then you got into insurance full-time when you ran into the Baha'i Faith? There was a direct sales company that would sell cookware on a demonstration in homes with couples. So I jumped from the insurance business into the cookware sales business, and out of 100,000 salesmen in 14 countries, I set a world award in sales in 1971. How did you run into the Baha'i faith doing that? I was walking down the street. This guy comes up and he says, Mr. Hoff, do you know me? I met you at Larry's party, and I said, no, I don't remember you. Who's Larry? Uh, Larry was a friend, strong Baptist, and I said, let's have a cup of coffee. So we sat down, he said, "He heard of the Baha'is, and I said, no. 
He said, can I tell you about him? I said, sure, I got an open mic. He came to my home, and within five minutes, I wanted the high faith to be true because I challenged him about racial separation. This was when I was 30 years old. I challenged him about racial separation, and I challenged him about all the splits in the Christian faith, and I only believed in Jesus. So you wanted to believe it. Did you think it may not have been true? Oh, no. Never had a doubt. The moment that I heard that blacks could marry whites and Protestants could marry Catholics, that was the first two questions I asked him. In probably less than two or three minutes, I wanted it to be true with all my heart. And that was very rare because there's only 36 Baha'is in the whole state of South Dakota at that time. So you became a Baha'i almost immediately? Uh, oh, yes, yes. And you mentioned your wife. What was her reaction to the Baha'i faith? Total disgust because I was going to be a minister, and that way I would be a big shot, and she didn't want anything to do with it, and she went to a college that taught that the whole idea of the second coming was not true, and the man approached the faith from the standpoint of Christ had returned. And I bought it, and she hated it, and furthermore, here at 30 years old, and just got married, I threw her whole future out the window and all, all the respect and being loved by everybody, in her opinion. So why was it that you were going to go into the ministry in the first place? Oh, I was looking for a place that would make the United Nations sweep the world, and not only make the United Nations sweep the world, I was looking for a place where you could unite all the different churches, and the liberal church, of the liberal Methodist church, didn't hold themselves above everybody else, and they embraced everybody else. And I just wasn't totally in love with that, so the first, when I heard of the Baha'is, and I found out that they were not racially prejudiced or prejudiced between the religions, my heart just leaped at 30 years old. My heart just says, I want this, I want it. Now, how was it different from the Methodist Church? Huh. In the Methodist Church, the Baha'i faith was so similar, but the major difference was I never knew that there were different religions. I didn't know there was a Buddhist, Hindu, I didn't know that. And I didn't have any idea about the other religions of the world. I thought most everybody in the world were Christians. And then when this Baha'i explained to me that most of the people in the world, over half, were not Christians, I was just shocked and stunned. And then I saw the Baha'i faith is way above what I understood as a Methodist because it could unite all the different peoples of the world instead of just as Christians. So your wife was in sync with the Methodist beliefs about the UN and uniting uh, yeah. the religions. Yeah, and she just loved the Methodist Church, and so did I, and I still do. So what was the obstacle for her? The obstacle was that this was the idea of Christ returning was a bunch of baloney, and uh, okay. uh, that a new manifestation had not come, I... She just, just didn't buy into this claim, so after uh, she fought me for about two months, I still had that sharp edge on me of challenging everything, and so I looked at her and I said, you give me a choice between Baha'u'llah and being a Baha'i, uh, you're gone. I'll just leave you. <laughs> and yeah. the Baha'i jumped all over me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't quite consistent with the Baha'i teachings, huh? Yeah. yeah. They, they really let me have it. <laughs> What year are you, you're talking about in the 70s? 1960. 
1960. Been about high 47 years, yeah. 48 years. Yeah. Well, what was your reaction? I mean, if you probably be, also believed that Jesus was the way and the only way. Oh, I did. How were you able to be open to the idea that Baha'u'llah could represent the return of Jesus Christ? Well, God set me up, I think. We, we had a black choir come to our church. The altar was with Native Americans in South Dakota, and we, you know, we were very segregated with them on reservations. And in my big church, the biggest church in South Dakota, the Methodist Church, they had a black choir come, and I asked to date one of the girls. And then the minister started making all sorts of excuses, and I said, you're not going to let me date her and take her to a meal and be alone with her just because we're still prejudiced. Is that right? And he said, well, Richard, you know, we've made great strides in 2,000 years. And I said, God, we've had 2,000 years. The minister just loved me. He thought I was one of the, just, he just loved my passion. First thing I asked Bill Myers, the Baha'i, I said, can a black marry a white? And he said, yeah. And then I said, can a Protestant marry a Catholic? Because We'd had conflict in the family with that. We didn't know about other religions, so it was just Catholic or Protestant, and we were Protestant. So I said, can a Catholic marry a Protestant? He said, sure, but would you marry a Buddhist? And I said, what? He said, would you marry a Buddhist? And I said, what's that? And I, <laughs> I didn't know about any major religion at 30 years old. It's amazing. Uh, and then I thought to myself, yeah, I'd marry anybody. This is ridiculous, being separated because of religion. And so those two questions, when he answered them, within two minutes, I think it was maybe less than that, I totally bought the idea of wanting to be a Baha'i. So let me ask you this, Richard. Um, that still doesn't address the fact that you believe that Jesus was the way and the only way. What was it that opened your heart and mind to the idea that Baha'u'llah could represent the return of Jesus Christ? I never bought into the idea that Christ would return, and I never bought into the idea Jesus is the only way. I was more of a socialist mm -hmm. uh, idea of the United Nations is going to have an effect on the world, and we need to promote it. So you were more a uh, social justice-oriented Christian. Oh, very much so. Mm -hmm. So the that idea was the time of, of John F. Kennedy. Mm -hmm. So the idea of the return of Jesus was not an overshadowing aspect of your Christianity. Totally correct. And then the guy that brought me in the faith gave me Bill Sears' book, and for the first time in my life, I uh, not only considered but I believed that uh, Christ had returned in Baha'u'llah. Just a second. Let me just introduce to folks. You said Bill Sears' book. Just for the sake of our listeners here. You're referring to the book called Thief in the Night by William Sears, yeah. where he Return of Christ. He ident yeah, he goes through the Bible prophecies oh, to yeah. show that the prophecies lead to the conclusion that Baha'u'llah is the return of Christ as prophesied in the Bible. That's correct. Yeah. I became Baha'i within a month and then I thought everybody would. I thought every because I was so challenging everybody. Then I heard of the Deep South teaching, so I called somebody in the Deep South thing, and I said, what you doing? What I'm doing ain't working. <laughs> he told me exactly what, what they were doing, and I went to a black preacher and his wife and said, I want to teach you a new way. And they said, okay, come in and have a cup of coffee. 
Okay, Rich, let me just explain a little for my listeners. You're referring to that in the 70s, there was a mass conversion of people in the South to the Baha'i faith, mostly of African-American descent. Yeah, during the during the 70s. Yeah, and so your way of telling people about the Baha'i faith wasn't seeming to be too receptive, or you didn't seem to have a receptive audience, so you wanted to learn why was it that so many people in the South in the 70s were so attracted to the Baha'i faith, and what was their method of presenting the Baha'i faith? Exactly correct. Mm-hmm. They taught me heart to heart, and just teach the Bob Baha'u'llah, and they showed me page 32 of the Wellsprings of Guidance, and I bought into the whole thing. Okay, now let's hold on a second. You, you're throwing a lot of stuff out here. So <laughs> for those listening, the Bob is the forerunner of Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. And the Bob, the Baha'is look upon as similar to the role of John the Baptist in the time of Christ as preparing the people for the manifestation of God coming, Baha'u'llah. And then you mentioned something about there's a book called Wellspring of Guidance, which is written by our supreme institution, uh, the yep. Universal House of Justice, and you mentioned a certain page number in there. 32. Oh, what is that? Uh, in that page, it says you should keep with a simple language addressed to the heart. So I threw everything out that I knew, and I started teaching the way that they were having all that success in the Deep South. So let's talk a little bit about your life after you became a Baha'i. Did the Baha'i faith at all change the direction of your life? You know, other than your Baha'i activities, did the Baha'i faith change the direction in which you were going in your life? And if so, how? Totally. Okay, describe it for me. The one thing, the month I studied, I was going to become a Democrat and work for the United Nations as a preacher, as a minister, it turns out that I can't be a minister. Why couldn't you be a minister? I don't have ministers. They okay. elect nine people to decide together. For the sake of the listeners, the Baha'i faith has no clergy. And I plan to be a, become a clergyman. Yeah, so in order to get the work done, it's the Baha'is themselves have to do the work that would normally have been done by clergy. Yeah, so yeah. I threw my whole profession out the window. Everything I geared my life towards being a minister and a politician, and, and they don't have political, and they yeah. don't have uh, political parties. Yeah, let me explain that, too. The Baha'is don't participate in partisan politics because Baha'is consider that divisive and against yeah. the principle of unity. Yeah. Although Baha'is are encouraged to vote in elections and uh, participate in the process of voting, they don't participate in divisive partisan politics. Yes, so... I'm very political, mm-hmm. but not partisan in any way. Politics, to me, is the organization of government, mm-hmm. and I'm all for the United Nations and the organization of government, and I registered the independent. So mm-hmm. I literally threw everything out the window at 30 years old and bought into everything the Baha'i said. Was that difficult for you? <laughs> it was hell for my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There was no difficulty difficulty for me. I was challenging the world all my life, and now I was challenging it for Baha'i. So mm-hmm. I'm just, there's no problem with me changing. I just dropped everything. Richard, did you live in South Dakota all your life? Yep, up to the time I was 30. 
How about after 30? Then I became Baha'i, and I asked my wife if I could just support the family well and and just throw all my energies into teaching the Baha'i faith. And she said, as long as I supported family, I could do that. And so I was so good, I only had to work about, oh, 20 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And all the rest of the time I was teaching the faith. We moved to 17 different cities. I thought your marriage fell apart after you became a Baha'i. <laughs> no, it was a miracle it didn't. Tell me about that. Remember I said that after two months, my wife was attacking the Baha'i faith so strong, and I gave her an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Let me choose Baha'u'llah, or you can leave, mm-hmm. and I'll find someone else. Well, that's pretty mean, isn't it? Yeah, it does sound pretty mean. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, I apologize. Oh. You really have the right to choose what you believe about God. And she said, and you're not trying to force it on me, but I've got to let you find your own way in this. And I said, that's all I want. I said, I'm in love with you. That's all I want. And then the Baha'is, they became her best friends and and were sweet and nice and thoughtful and helpful to her in every sense of the word. And, you know, most people are sort of laid back. Well, me, I've never been laid back about anything in my life. I've been in 17 different communities. I served on the Southwest Indian Teaching Committee in 1967. One lady at the reservation invited me to come to the Mescalero Apache Reservation mm. at Alamogordo, New Mexico. Mm. Did your wife become a Baha'i eventually? Yeah, two years later. Mm-hmm. found a, a Baptist church that she was most happy with. Uh, we moved from Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Rapid City, South Dakota. And I found a church that she's the most happy with, and I and I didn't talk Baha'i. I just totally supported her in being a member of that church. Then two years later, she uh, just said, I don't believe in the Christian church anymore. At that moment, after two years, her mind opened up, and she started to... She'd already read a lot of Baha'i stuff to prove me wrong, mm-hmm. to prove that, I, that Baha'i... She knew she could just find Buddha was wrong or Muhammad then uh, I'd have to give up on the whole Baha'i thing. And, and so she was well-read and well-studied to uh, destroy my belief in, in the faith. And, and two years later, she accepted the faith. So how long did you live in South Dakota? I lived in South Dakota for 30 years. And okay. I left, and we never went back, and I went to 17 different cities across the nation. Okay. Up to 10 years ago. And what were the states did those 17 cities include? Oh, gosh. Uh, we went to Illinois, and then I also, we uh, lived, of course, we're here in New Mexico, and then we lived in Oklahoma, and my wife was the curator. Um, there's a big, huge church there that the Baha'is brought between San Diego and Los Angeles, and she was the... Uh, Caretaker? She was, well, she ran the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Tucson. Mm-hmm. And then I went to, uh, in 1995, in Houston, Texas. And I don't want you to turn off against me, because in sales, I learned that I was number one, I was the best, I was great. That's the way these super salesmen are in many different fields. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, but I feel the Holy Spirit converts people, the Holy Spirit changes people. I've learned how to do what I should to uh, let that 
hear it flow like a hollow reed, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I love this thing with all my heart, but I tried to change, and I couldn't. I, I still talk an awful lot about what I did. That leads me to the question, Richard. How do you see the faith changing your personality? Because you say you had a very confrontative type of personality. How would you say the faith has changed your personality to, and maybe you could describe where those changes are and what you are like today compared to when you first found out about the Baha'i faith? Only one major thing is different. That is that I know I should be humble and not bragging. I know that. So I'm sure that's tempered me to quite a degree. Mm-hmm. I know that prayer is essential. So I've learned not to be combative amongst the Baha'is, because, you know, I figured we all ought to go out there and change the world yesterday. It doesn't work that way, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's changed me that much except to give me the knowledge of what I should be doing and say, Richard, there's room for the Baha'i faith for egotistical salesmen <laughs> and everybody else. Right. I just feel like I'm a better person this year than I was last year. Mm-hmm. You've had some experience on the reservations. What's the major difference in culture that you've noticed? The horrible drinking and drug use. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just heart-rendering. A significant number became very active behind Mm-hmm. How long did you work as a salesman? I'm still a salesman, as you can well tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 1962, I stopped selling and took my Social Security. So what year was that? Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, you take 77 and subtract 62 from it, get the date. That's 15 years ago, so that would have been 1992. Oh, my gosh. Doesn't seem possible. Yeah. So you were a salesman for this one company that whole time? Primarily. Mm-hmm. I tried a couple other things, and, uh, and that worked out, too. What other things did you try? Door-to-door, selling fire alarm. Mm-hmm. Direct sales, when they called us. Well, one of the ways my personality changed, I couldn't make appointments. To, I couldn't ask people to sit down and talk to me about my sales. And then, eventually, I evolved to the point where I could knock on doors and made a living doing it in a very handsome way. You you had trouble making appointments to visit people, so you just went door-to-door. So. Uh, I eventually gained the capacity to go door-to-door, but I learned it gradually. Uh-huh. We used to have parties for our sales. Mm-hmm. A woman would get a fabulous gift to invite six or eight of her best friends into her home mm-hmm. to let me cook for them. And I cooked in even millionaires' homes as well as middle-income people's. But I was an actor, you know. I was mm-hmm. on stage, and I've learned how to ask people today I, there's a box of cards that have my name on them mm-hmm. richard and pauline hoff and the high fate and the World Wide web and such i pass out over a thousand of those a year so i talk to over a thousand new people every year of my life even at 77 years old yeah i just get out the door and, and i meet new people every single day one day i, I talked to 17 kids in a parking lot part of the fate <laughs> Had so much fun, and so did they. Yeah. I was down in the shopping mall here. Here was six kids with trench coats on and, and some of the girls half-dressed, different things. And, and this was just a month ago, and I went over to them, and I said, Hey, can I talk to you a minute? 
you know, I had all their attention. They said, yeah, you know, I'm 77 years old. I'm not young. I said, oh, I want to compliment you guys. You've got the guts to wear trench coats and different things, and a lot of people look down upon you and such, but you've got the guts to be yourself. And, and I said, I love you, and I took the person that I felt was the most receptive and hugged him. <laughs> <laughs> was he receptive to that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't misjudge hardly ever. I'll bet 98% of the time people are receptive. Mm-hmm. But it's something I've learned, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I have a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and that's what I say. This faith, there's room for every character, and I'm a character, mm-hmm. uh, in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. I just see everybody's family. I honestly do. I go plumb across the room wherever I see a, an elderly person. Any place I go, and I get out there every day, even when I'm sick, I make it a point to try and get out there, tell them how I love them. And, mm-hmm. and I think Bahamalad has given me the ability to honestly love them. I do think he's given me that ability. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all going to learn to be more reaching out and see everybody's family. Yeah. Boy, that takes a lot of guts. Yeah, sounds like you got a big heart, Richard. Oh, <laughs> I'm a happy guy. I yeah. really am. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you've got a heart that can embrace the whole world. Well, I really ask God to put me out there and let me touch people and get involved. Now, I'm a little interested, Richard, going back a little bit, that you said something that piqued my interest. You said that you had to work yourself into going door to door. What was pushing you in that direction in your sales work versus just continuing what you were doing with the parties? Oh, that's very valid. I never thought about that. I never thought about the sequence of how that happened. So I ain't got an answer for you at this moment, but I'm going to think about that. I'm going to talk to my wife about that and get that figured out because it's important for me to see the progression of my character development in that Mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. To start with, we'd run an ad in the newspaper, and we'd say, a fabulous gift for you and dinner for yourself and six couples just answered the ad. Mm-hmm. Then I was so hesitant, even though I was so combative, I was so hesitant to walk up to a door, even though I had the ad in my hand, that my wife would have to go with me, and we'd drive around the block for 15 minutes before I'd get out and make an appointment. So I really changed my personality but I see the Baha'i faith to the world family. I think we've got to have classes on this and work more at making it happen. You know, it was interesting that you said there's room in the Baha'i faith for all kinds of folks, even even you, Richard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did uh, say that. I, uh, it reminds me of the Baha'i principle of unity and diversity. In other words, we're not all trying to be the same, but rather... It's the diversity of people being united in one cause to unite the world that makes this whole process a miracle. Well, I think that's absolutely true. Totally, completely true. I have friends that are Rush Limbaugh. Uh, You know who Rush Limbaugh is? I do indeed. And I have friends that are atheists, but they love me and continue their fellowship. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I have the most liberal Bill Clinton people. So with these people, I pick out what I can communicate with them on, and then I keep my mouth shut about anything that would cause division. And I'm such a powerful salesman 
that I know what I can get away with. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and what I can't. And one person, I've for 20 years, he was teacher of the year at the university. We've been friends for 20 years. And I saw him at the movie last week, and he said, Richard. And he's been retired now for five years. And he said, Richard, I'm so disillusioned with the United States. And he was a liberal Catholic, but he never let me really ask him to consider being a Baha'i. And now we're going to lunch together. And I'm going to ask him if the time hasn't come that he listens to me. And I love the guy. Yeah. He's Ray Willem. He's a beautiful guy. Very powerful at the university. This is a faith of action. This is a faith of growth and dynamicism. What motivates you to do so much talking about the Baha'i faith? Oh, before I ever heard the word Baha'i, I believed the United Nations would build a world civilization without war. And then when Baha'i comes along, and I see that I was ignorant about Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, I was ignorant about most of the world. And then I saw Baha'i as a method that would bring it all together. I didn't believe in Baha'u'llah that much to start with. I believed in the organizational system. Mm-hmm. And then I came to totally believe in Baha'u'llah. I love this faith with all the heart and soul, and I wouldn't mind if you didn't even use me in any of this material because I'm just not the most sedate person that, at the present time as a Baha'i. I'm so full of fire. Thank you for letting me share because I've got a passion about my family. I just love it when somebody says, hey, I want to hear what you got to say, and I always listen to what everybody else has to say, too. Well, Richard, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Oh, it's been absolutely delightful. I love you passionately. <laughs> uh, and after 47 years, I ought to be pretty close to that if I don't, shouldn't I? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? Well, after 47 years of working at loving everybody and mm. seeing everybody as family, yeah. I should be getting better at it. Yeah, I? like I said before, you've got a big heart that seems to encompass the whole world there. That's very kind of you, and... Oh, by the way, under Hoff Stories on the web, mm-hmm. it shows a picture of my family. You might want to pull it up. Okay, I'll take a look. You take care of yourself. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Richard Hoff. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, where you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Even as flowers grow and blend together
Flowers grow and blend
Not to let it be. 
always on the bright side When there's so much going down on the other side It's like a living a bubble with no trouble And problems don't exist I chuckle now them that ain't the case at all It goes back to the time when I was very small I didn't mind the size and age My papa used to say You can always look at the negative But you should always live in the positive So I try every day to live in that way What is and how much they can And be the first to complain about nothing And life going their way The attitude's there that I can't do nothing about And very happy with just breathing in and out The ones that when you say let's go make a difference They'll say nah that's okay So I don't waste time on the trip side Cause I do know the real on the flip side And I'm crystal clear every day That's why I
created thee, yet thou hast abased thyself. Rise then unto
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.